Welcome to TMI, a podcast by Henry Ford Allegiance Health. And Jen's in the studio with us. Hi, Dave. How are you? Hi, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a little while. Yep. Happy to be here again. And we've got masks on. Yep. And Socially distanced. Socially Doing distanced. all the things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a, not to brag or anything, but one of these new Apple watches here. One of the new features in this thing is it does an ECG like you can put your finger on it and yeah. it's like a one lead EKG kind of thing, I think. It's interesting and I've been using it quite a bit because over the last few years I've had a little bit of like chest discomfort yep. and it has been one of those things that kind of has kind of eased my fears. I've mm -hmm. still gone in and had it checked out and everything, but it's just nice to have something that can kind of be there yep. um, and make sure that at least some things aren't wrong with your body. Sure. Um, but that is definitely not the only thing that people should know about right? when it comes to your heart and yep. keeping it on time and all that fun stuff. So we brought an expert in today to we talk did. a little bit more about it. Yes. Who do we have in the studio, Jen? So today we have Dr. Bipin Ravindran, who is an electrophysiologist, which we'll learn more about that shortly, um, with Henry Ford Allegiance Cardiology. Dr. Ravindran, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me, Jen. Uh, Dave, good to be here. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about anything related to electrophysiology, people's heart health, um, any questions that you all may have, um, happy to, to field them. Yeah. And um, I know we've seen you around a lot lately, but you're not really new to the community here. You've been kind of involved in this kind of electrophysiology stuff quite a bit here in Jackson. What, what was your um, kind of how do you work with the program here and what do you do in the hospital? Yeah, that's a that's a great question to clarify what I do. I'm I'm a cardiologist who focuses on heart rhythm management. Um, I first came to this local community uh, at Allegiance Hospital in 2011, and I spent some time here, maybe 20% of my time rotating here, um, four or five times a month, helping to establish the electrophysiology program. Um, in 2018, um, after Henry Ford partnered with Allegiance Health, I stopped coming here for a couple of years. My then partner stayed on full-time. Dr. Timothy Shin continued really an ablation program that he and I helped get off the ground here, moved from simple procedures to more complex, sophisticated procedures here, dealing again with heart rhythm disorders. And uh, very recently, in the last month, I decided to commit 100% of my time to Allegiance Health, to the Jackson community, joining Dr. Shin um, to really take the electrophysiology program to the next level. So I'm, I'm very familiar with this community. I'm committed to it. Um, and uh, really, you know, we just believe that this community deserves state-of-the-art care, um, that we can deliver in people's backyard and they don't have to travel an hour or an hour and a half uh, to receive the exact same care with the exact same equipment. Cool. That's awesome. We have a lucky community to have services like that around here for sure. No kidding. And we've, we've talked to cardiologists before, but what's the difference between specifically a cardiologist and an electrophysiologist? So um, we all manage similar disorders. Um, I think when it boils down to it, um, heart rhythm disorders often are managed by our partners who are general cardiologists, but when they need a procedure specifically 
to manage their heart rhythm disorders, that's when Dr. Shin and I step in um, and we can offer things like pacemakers, defibrillators, or procedures called ablation procedures where essentially we advance small catheters in a non-invasive or rather minimally invasive manner so that we can manipulate heart circuits, um, improving people's quality of life, um, helping people live longer. Um, uh, and, and those are specifically why our general cardiology partners um, ask us to become involved. Very cool. That's awesome. So is atrial fibrillation and irregular heartbeat the same thing, or is there a little bit of a difference there? Yeah, so there is, um, there is a difference. So all atrial fibrillation essentially um, is an irregular heartbeat Okay. for the most part. Um, irregular heartbeats can occur from a variety of disorders, not just atrial fibrillation. For instance, you can have extra beats, premature atrial contractions or ectopic beats in the top chamber, or premature ventricular contractions in the bottom chamber of your heart that can also make one's heartbeat irregular, both things that the patient may perceive or your fancy Apple mm -hmm. Watch could right. perceive these irregularities and alert you that you're in an irregular rhythm, but it may not be atrial fibrillation, but rather harmless, for the most part, harmless um, uh, extra beats in the top or bottom chamber of your heart. Hmm. Yeah, and I've, I think sometimes I wake up and I might have like a sleep apnea thing or something, and then I check my heartbeat, and it's fine, usually. But I always go in and get it checked out. Um, those kind of things. Is there a difference between like an irregular heartbeat or like a fast or strong heartbeat, or does it feel the same, or is it is is that serious? Well, um, it's difficult to answer that question. Mm -hmm. um, what I would say is all types of rhythm disorders can present in a multitude of ways. Some people, for instance, will feel atrial fibrillation and they'll feel rapid heart beating. They'll feel the regularity in their pulse. They may describe it as pounding or rapid. Mm. Yeah. Others may not feel anything at all. 30% hmm. of atrial fibrillation patients actually feel nothing. They are completely asymptomatic. Hmm. They may say, well, how can that be? My, my heart is racing along very fast and... Um, how am I not feeling this? Well, that, that is the reality of atrial fibrillation. There, there are a good chunk of people that don't feel it, wow. um, even though their wearable device may indicate mm -hmm. they are indeed in atrial fibrillation. And similarly, um, extra beats in the top and bottom chamber, things that also can um, give one an irregular pulse, um, uh, those can be either completely asymptomatic or someone may feel them and they may plague them and decrease their quality of life. It really depends on the individual, Dave. Hmm. So in, in kind of more of a general thing, how long with people with AFib, is that something that really decreases their lifespan or should they get that taken care of quickly or immediately? Yeah. I mean, if we're talking specifically about atrial fibrillation, um, the truth is there is um, uh, an increased mortality with atrial fibrillation. For mm -hmm. all comers, um, if we look on a population level, 
um, people who are diagnosed with atrial fibrillation do have a, a decreased lifespan. So it is a serious condition. Um, you know, when we think about atrial fibrillation, what we do know is that it can worsen existing mm. kidney disease. It can cause heart failure, essentially filling up with fluid due to the heart not functioning in an efficient manner. Um, it can cause and progress dementia, <laughs> and it is associated with increased risk of stroke, and as we talked about, increased risk of death. Um, the main risk we worry about when we talk about atrial fibrillation is stroke, um, and that's why early diagnosis, early intervention, early management for atrial fibrillation is important, and um, and a lot of these things can be prevented, or at least we can reduce um, the progression of a lot of these diseases that are associated with atrial fibrillation so that um, people don't have a reduced lifespan, or at least we can maximize their life. Um, I think for the most part, when I see an individual with atrial fibrillation, um, I try to impart to them that we're going to manage their problem together. Um, we're going to improve their quality of life um, and hopefully prevent these things from occurring. Um, AFib is rarely a one-and-done visit, um, but with multiple steps, um, we often can get patients their lives back and get it back on track. So you mentioned the importance of early detection. So how is someone going to know that they need to come and see you? Is that more like regular visits with their primary care, or is there usually an event or something that triggers them to come and see you? Yeah, that's a great question, Jen. You know, I, I would say most of the patients that I see are identified as having an arrhythmia or atrial fibrillation by their primary physician or their cardiologist or they may have developed symptoms that I mentioned to you earlier, this heart pounding, um, short of breath maybe, um, and they go to the emergency room gotcha. saying, what's wrong with me? And then they get an EKG that shows atrial fibrillation, and then I see the individual. Um, is it possible to get back to um, uh, Dave's Apple Watch, um, which he introduced at the beginning of this conversation? Um, is it possible that an individual would detect an irregular rhythm and then seek their primary or me? Mm -hmm. The answer is yes, but I would say that's not often the case. Okay. Um, you know, to comment on mm -hmm. these wearable devices a little bit further, because they are being marketed direct to consumers, um, there's the Apple Watch, there's Fitbit, there's mm -hmm. applications with a live core uh, Cardia app, which was, you know, all and all of these things are FDA approved for detecting uh, irregular rhythms. But I would say um, technology is amazing. Um, and my field is embedded in innovative technology. Um, but it's important to remember that as we get these tools available to us, we also have to study these tools. And we have to study how best to use these tools. What do I mean by that? Well, these devices are not perfect, mm -hmm. okay? Um, irregular beats may not be atrial fibrillation. So many irregular beats, extra beats in the top or bottom chamber, may be flagged as irregular and then heightens one's anxiety of, 
is this atrial fibrillation? Am I going to have a stroke? I need mm -hmm. to see my doctor. Um, and so I think we have to be very careful to say everyone should get a wearable watch looking for irregular rhythm or atrial fibrillation. So are we ready yet, in my opinion, to say that everyone over 65 should get a wearable watch and look for atrial fibrillation for screening? I think the answer is no. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't think we're there yet. Do I utilize the technology for wearable watches or wearable devices? The answer is yes. But how I use it is very specific. I would say I find it very useful in patients who have known diagnoses, um, one, um, because then I might say, you know what, um, the devices that we sometimes prescribe often are big, cumbersome, have wires to them. The, the little electrodes um, that we ask patients to stick on them sometimes are, are very irritant to the skin and are not very user-friendly at times. Um, so somebody with the known diagnosis, I might say, you know what, if you have this device, record the rhythm strips, bring it to me, um, and then we'll correlate your symptoms with the rhythm strip. Um, and I think that that would be a more meaningful use of these. The other time it's useful is, um, you know, currently with the COVID environment that we're in, we're often seeing patients through telemedicine. Mm -hmm. So in a patient with a known diagnosis, they may... Um, feel something and they can show me because they can print out or show on their display what the rhythm was and I can talk to them about it specifically. Nice. So I find those instances of um, using this type of wearable technology um, very, very, very useful. Um, yeah, and a lot of them are still in their beginning stages of usefulness. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. And I think the only other time that I think it is useful is perhaps the individual with very rare symptoms, but very real symptoms. Mm -hmm. And they may use a traditional event monitor. Again, these types that are a little bit bulky, you know, have mm -hmm. wires, a little cumbersome. And maybe we don't detect a rhythm problem. Maybe they've done it once or twice. So the very rare event, maybe the person with symptoms every like four or five months or three months, then maybe when they develop symptoms, they could record the rhythm through one of these uh, wearable devices, then I would say that would be the other time it can be very, very useful. But I, I think the take-home points are, um, I don't think that we should recommend this for a mass screening tool. Mm. And there are ongoing studies looking at this using these very tools we're talking about, just like Dave's uh, Apple Watch, mm -hmm. large, large uh, studies with tens and hundreds right. of thousands of people involved. So we'll get more information, more guidance, um, but uh, again, we don't want to cause anxiety for people. Yeah, <laughs> that's in the process for sure. <laughs> of trying to help them. Exactly. Yeah. If someone knows that they have to go through this, what does that look like? Do most people need to get a pacemaker if they have AFib, or are there other ways to kind of help them out, or just how is the treatment process for something like this? Well, everyone's treatment for atrial fibrillation, once they're diagnosed, um, is heavily individualized. There are so many variables involved. So you're right, a pacemaker can be used in patients with atrial fibrillation to manage their symptoms. But, but by no means think that most patients with AFib get a pacemaker, because it simply isn't true. Hmm. I would say that's the minority. Um, typical reasons that an atrial fibrillation patient would get a pacemaker is if the rates are very slow. Essentially, the heart rate is really slow, and we put in a pacemaker to get their heart rate up so they feel good. Mm -hmm. um, it's the same reason we put a pacemaker in for essentially patients without atrial fibrillation. Um, and there's other utilities for an atrial fibrillation in, in management of patients. Um, 
sometimes in, in really severe cases um, um, or in someone who's elderly where we want a very simplistic approach, we'll put in a pacemaker and make them purposefully dependent on the pacemaker so that they don't feel their heart race anymore, um, so that their heart can't be irregular, so the patients don't perceive the irregularity. Um, some, in some cases, that can also work very well. But again, I would say most patients who have atrial fibrillation don't end up with the pacemaker. There's a variety of tools and approaches we use for people. Um, you know, at the core of management of atrial fibrillation, we essentially um, uh, prescribe either a simple rate control strategy, where all we do is we control the heart rate, even leave patients in atrial fibrillation uh, long term. This is generally the patient that is asymptomatic, minimal to asymptomatic with atrial fibrillation. If we can improve quality of life, protect them, um, without having to do any other types of interventions, sometimes that can work very well, especially for the older patient. I would say that's the unlikely approach for the younger, more active patient. They tend to feel symptoms from their atrial fibrillation, symptoms that result in a reduced quality of life. For those individuals, um, we pursue rhythm control strategies. That means controlling the rhythm to help them stay in normal rhythm, um, all the time or the majority of the time. Again, the goal, the theme is uh, improving quality of life. And how we do that is essentially drugs or procedures um, that I perform called an ablation. Yeah. It's it's so interesting how many new techniques and things are out there to help people with their heart. There, mm -hmm. We did a video, I think it was a year ago, maybe. With Dr. Well, Shin. With Dr. Shin. Yeah. Yes. What was that one about? That was about, <clears throat> excuse me, that was about the Watchman procedure. So oh, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about what that is and kind of how that's kind of a new technology, I guess, or a new device that we're able to use? Yeah. The Watchman um, left atrial appendage occluder device um, is... Uh, is a fantastic tool um, that's been uh, available to us now over the last decade um, uh, that has um, uh, gone through some changes recently. We have uh, the next generation of the device, the Watchman oh, nice. Flex, which is easier, safer, um, easier to manipulate, easier to uh, get a great closure of the left atrial ap appendage device. Um, just in the past year, that's become available. Um, the, basically, essentially what it does is, is it closes off the left atrial appendage. Why? What is the left atrial appendage and why is it important is 95% um, of the strokes or more come from this pouch in the top left chamber of the heart. There's four yeah. chambers of the heart. The left atrium has this pouch called the, the left atrial appendage. And um, with the inefficient um, and chaotic electrical activity that occurs with atrial fibrillation, this then translates into sort of a chaotic, inefficient, uh, mechanical movement hmm. of the heart and the, specifically the left yeah. atrium. And so blood flow um, sometimes can swirl and be slow moving, mm. and wow. it can swirl and be slow moving in that appendage, and a clot can form, and that clot can go to the brain. Bad. So that's why we often, gotcha. in higher-risk individuals, place patients on blood thinners. Mm -hmm. So some patients cannot tolerate blood thinners because mm -hmm. of perhaps um, their professional activities, um, high risk uh, for falls, if they have frequent falls, or perhaps they have recurrent bleeding, um, GI bleeding, mm -hmm. um, bleeding of, of, of various types. Um, perhaps they have uh, a brain malformation or an aneurysm that's high risk and 
Their neurosurgeon says they can't be on blood thinners, but we're still left with this high risk of stroke with atrial fibrillation. So this is a nice solution because what we do with this device is we insert it, again, minimally invasively um, through small catheters um, into that left atrial appendage so that it seals it off. The body forms a film over this device and seals it off so that the risk of stroke after this device has been successfully implanted is the same as somebody being on a blood thinner, oh, wow. um, which, is, which is quite remarkable. Um, Dr. Shin does the Watchman procedure. I do the Watchman procedure. And again, as I mentioned, we have the next generation of the device. Um, and I can tell you it is um, incredibly um, safer to manipulate the device. It's easier to insert in the body. Um, it's just an all-around safer, easier mm. device. And um, I think that um, um, it's going to continue to um, grow and expand for the patients that we implant the device. And I think our threshold to put it in um, will also fall because of um, the ease of use and its safety profile. That's awesome. Cool. When I first heard about it, I thought it was just like an oil filter for your heart. <laughs> but no, it's a lot better than that. A lot better than that. <laughs> uh, Very shows, cool. Shows what I know about. Hey, that's heart why filters. we do this podcast so we can learn more, right? <laughs> it's so cool. It's so cool. It is. Um, speaking of cool things, in Jackson here, um, I heard that there's some kind of new AFib clinic coming up or going on. Can yeah, you tell so us what you know about that? yeah, so what we're doing um, uh, at uh, at Allegiance and 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 also across Henry Ford is uh, to create a mechanism to efficiently and effectively manage atrial fibrillation patients. What we don't think we need is for everyone who gets the initial diagnosis of atrial fibrillation to have to get admitted to the hospital. Um, especially in the world of COVID, um, the hospitals are overrun. Um, now more than ever, we're realizing that we often do unnecessary testing, unnecessary admissions for patients, which is a dissatisfier. Um, it can cause high expense and expose patients to other risks, such as exposure to other infectious agents, which are in the hospitals, in this case, specifically COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's really sort of the idea that we can safely manage patients by if they go to their primary doctor or if they go to the emergency room, once we make sure there's no alarming conditions to be concerned about, that they can then see us in the cardiology office within approximately 48 hours so that we can meet the patient, tailor both short-term and long-term therapies, and uh, get them on the right road um, to getting their, their lives back. It, it's, it's the way that we can safely and quickly um, get a, a, a plan of care in place so that we can prevent the things that we talked about, mm -hmm. stroke, heart failure, yeah. um, worsening conditions such as kidney disease, things of that nature. Well, wow, that sounds super convenient for people, too. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, obviously no one really wants to have to be admitted. And if this kind of clears up that, as long as nothing else is going on, then mm -hmm. yeah. that's that's a good good thing to be able to do. Fast, effective care. I think nice. that's the goal. Awesome. Yeah. 
Well, this well, has been super informative. I know I learned a lot about uh, uh, AFib. and <laughs> It's been a fast and effective podcast. <laughs> yes, I think so too. Wow. Time flies when you're having fun. Yep. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for coming in. Um, Dr. My Ravindran. pleasure. My and pleasure. Are you sure there's nothing else that we can go over or any other concerns? I don't know. Did or... you have anything else to talk about? Yeah. Is there anything <laughs> else that we need? Is there anything else that we can, can you prevent, like what can you do to prevent AFib? Oh, like, well, I think that's a great question. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of things that I think that we can do to prevent um, atrial fibrillation. Mm -hmm. You know, these are a lot of the things that we cover when we'll see somebody um, in the clinic, in our atrial fibrillation clinic is um, it's not just AFib, but it's all the associated risk factors for AFib, such as obesity, um, excess alcohol use, um, managing their high blood pressure, addressing obstructive, obstructive sleep apnea. So when you see us and you were diagnosed with atrial fibrillation, it's not just AFib. I mean, we have to look at the whole individual right. and we will aggressively um, really attack all of these uh, variables um, mm. because we want someone to um, maintain normal sinus rhythm when we pursue rhythm control and our likelihood of success is greatly impacted if we can effectively treat these other conditions. So what can you do to not get AFib? Well, all the things that we should all be doing, mm -hmm. right? We should all <laughs> lose weight. Mm -hmm. um, we should uh, become vegans and exercise uh, every day. Um, yeah. Now I realize that's not realistic. Uh, for most people. But I think the spirit of it is um, live healthy lifestyles, right? Sure. I mean, we should all fight the good fight and uh, try to lose weight if we're overweight. Um, we should be very careful about um, uh, uh, taking in alcohol excess, mm -hmm. um, reducing when we can frequency or, you know, the abundance on whatever occasion we drink. Um, and, um, you know, try to live as healthy as we can. Um, these are variables um, that, that we can um, affect to prevent AFib. You know, none of us certainly want that diagnosis. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's important. I mean, that kind of goes for a lot of these topics that we end up talking about, right. too, is, you know, what can we do to prevent it? And it's, it's changing, <laughs> changing your lifestyle and changing just be healthier. Lifestyle. And it's, yep. and it's a difficult thing to change lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just, it's important to talk about it. Um, it's important to help people get a mm -hmm. plan together. And, it, and we're human. It's okay not to be perfect. But mm -hmm. um, it's just, it's just, uh, you know, it's important to keep, keep fighting. Mm -hmm. Keep yeah. trying. Do your best. It's all we can ask. Absolutely. Yeah. And that kind of reminds me, we have a lot of these podcasts mm -hmm. that you can find on henryford.com slash podcast. And um, check it out on YouTube or yeah. uh, Facebook or anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, TMI uh, Let's podcast. Talk Let's talk more about, about it. it. <laughs> and uh, it's a chance for us to really get in depth in some of these topics that uh, we don't usually get to talk about in this much detail. Mm -hmm. So thanks for joining us. And my uh, pleasure. A ton of fun. Thanks. Thank you.